You know, there was a Sunday school teacher that uh, had a four-year-old. She was teaching the four-year-old class, and uh, she was teaching her class on Easter Sunday. She wanted to make sure that all of her four-year-olds understood what today was all about. So she asked the class, do y'all know what today is? And little Emma shot her hand up, and she says, oh, 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 I know. She says, Emma, what is it? She says, today is Easter. She says, that's awesome. Now, Emma, do you know what Easter is really all about? She says, yes, I do. She says, what is it all about? She says, the day that Jesus came out of the tomb. And then when he saw his shadow, he had to go back in for seven more weeks. <laughs> Tell me, no, she got some stories a little mixed up there. A little bit. And it's true, we can kind of all mix up Easter a little bit, not understanding that Easter really is a culmination of really two big events that happened. We celebrated Good Friday on Friday. How many, how many celebrate Good Friday with eating some crawfish? Any crawfish people on Good Friday? Yeah. How many were with family on Friday? Good Friday. How many you worked on Friday? Yeah, that's real life right there. Okay. And uh, we celebrate Good Friday. Good Friday, of course, is the day that we celebrate. It's called Good Friday because the greatest news that ever happened was that Jesus took our sin on himself on the cross. He paid for our ransom. We celebrate that on Friday, but then, of course, for our Christian faith, the greatest day is not just Friday, but it's Sunday, because how many of you know three days later, our God rose from the grave? He is alive and alive evermore today. So we celebrate, we celebrate that, that day as well. You know, there's a, there's a children's book, a little children's book that I found uh, years back. It was actually children that had penned letters to God. And there's a book out there, it's just a real small little thin book, it's actually called Letters to God from Children. The book was so wildly spread throughout the world that they decided to make a sequel to the book, and that book was called Children's Letters to Their Pastor. How many of you know, <laughs> you get some honest stuff from kids. So they put all of these letters that the kids had written to their pastor in a small little book. And I thought I'd share a couple of them with you today. So this was, this is the first one. James, James says, pastor, say a prayer for our baseball team. We need God's help or a new pitcher. <laughs> Whichever one it is. Come on, how many of you know that's so true? <laughs> watch, watch what Emma said. Emma said, I would like to go to heaven because I know my brother won't be there. <laughs> Out of the mouth of babes. <laughs> watch, watch what Max said. Max said, Pastor, I like your sermon on Sunday, especially when it was finished. <laughs> and then watch the last one. Alex said this. Alex says, I know God loves everybody, but he never met my sister. <laughs> and how many know, I, I'm really, Easter is, is really this. It's the culmination of us understanding that God does love everybody. And uh, Alex has got it right to some degree. God does love everybody. And however much he doesn't like it probably, God actually really loves his sister too. And, uh, you know, for us, the greatest thing that we come to terms with, with Easter, hopefully, and with the resurrection, is that God so loves you. And if there's anything I want you to hear today, it's just how much God loves you. Because when you understand how much God loves you, it changes everything about you changes everything about you because now you don't have to go looking for it everywhere else because you've got it in the one it matters the most in. And God so loves you. Actually, this is what um, scripture says in Romans. If you got some notes, how many you got some notes? You got some notes when you walked in? You can follow along with us in the notes or if you have the YouVersion app, you can follow along in the YouVersion app as well. And this is what it says in Romans 5 eight, one of the greatest verses in all of scripture. It says, God demonstrated his own love. And I love just, just to begin today with the fact that God doesn't just declare his love. 
which is one thing he could do. He could just shout it from heaven, I love you. But he, he didn't just declare it, he demonstrated it. He showed it. And this is how he de- de- declared and demonstrated his love for us in that while we were still, what's this word? Sinners. Sinners. Everybody say it one more time. Sinners. Sinners. Look at the person next to you and say it. <laughs> You've been wanting to say that for a long time. Anyways, all right. So while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And I know on Easter Sunday, you know, you come in here and we, we all look prim and proper on the outside, but really for many of us, we may be not looking as good on the inside. And we wrestle with this question of, does God really honestly love me? Does he even care? Because everything that's going on in my life seems the opposite. Doesn't seem like God cares. Doesn't seem that God really loves me because of what's going on in my life. But can I tell you right now, you've, you've been, if you've noticed the little invite cards that we've had um, have one big symbol on it. And it's a cross that equals a heart sign. Because we just want this whole area to know that the cross equals love. If you want to take some notes, you can just write that down. First thing is just write, the cross equals the love of God. Most people would think the cross equals religion or the cross equals rules or the cross equals regulations or different things, but they could be further from the truth. The cross doesn't equal any of those things. It honestly equals the love of God. And many of us, honestly, if we're really being real brutally honest, really feel like oftentimes we've just done too much, we've gone too far to really deserve God's love. That, that there's no way that God could really love me. I love in the story of Jesus eventually going to the cross, just a couple hours before Jesus went to the cross, he demonstrated his love, not just on the cross, but in another story. If you've been reading uh, in any regards, maybe during this Holy Week, kind of all that Jesus did when he led up to it, right before he went to the cross, he was on trial. He was actually on three different trials. He was first sent to Pilate. Pilate reviewed all of the accusations that were, that were accused against him. And Pilate says, I, he seems like a, 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 an innocent man. He says, I don't know what to do with him. So he sends him to Herod. Jesus goes to trial number two in front of Herod. They say, what, what is the charges on this man? They bring the charges, and he says, I don't think that these charges are valid. I think he's an innocent man. Herod goes, I don't know what to do with him. Herod sends him back to Pilate. Pilate gets him for round three. Here we are, the third trial. And Pilate's got to figure out what he's got to do. What am I going to do with an innocent man? He is totally innocent. He is not guilty whatsoever. And he remembers that in that, in that day, they were celebrating the Passover. And in the Passover, the Jewish people had a tradition that on Passover, that Pilate would always release one prisoner. It was just his way of, of um, honoring Passover was to release a prisoner. And so you would think that in this moment, Pilate is thinking, well, this is how I'm going to get Jesus released. We, I've got to release somebody. The problem with it is, is that they would have to vote. The Jewish people would have to tell them who they want released And so you would think, here's Jesus. Let's think for a minute. The last three years of Jesus' life, what have they been marked by? The last three years of his ministry, Jesus has been healing people. He's been helping people. He's been serving people. He's been, he's been uh, a friend to the down and outs. All the outcasts he's been having dinner with. He, he's been performing miracles. His best friend Lazarus is dead. He raises him from the grave. He's, he's growing people's arms back. He's walking on water like it's nothing. He's calming storms. He is the creator of the universe. And all he is doing is helping and blessing and serving and loving people. 
And so you would think it would be so easy. Of course, they're going to free Jesus. I mean, everybody loves Jesus, right? Well, unfortunately, when he presented it to the Jewish people and says, who do you want me to free? They said, give us Barabbas. Wait, Barabbas? Who is Barabbas? Well, if you know any of the story, Barabbas was a rioter, he was a terrorist, and he was a murderer. He was actually at that time on death row, about to await his crucifixion for himself. And here we are, the people are saying, give us Barabbas. And can you think for a moment, I always love when I read scripture to always try to put myself in the scripture. Can you think for a moment, Barabbas, he's not just an offender that's in rehab. He is a murderer on death row, sitting in a cell. And can you think just for a minute, he's hearing outside, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. And all he can probably think is, this is it. This is the day. This is the day that they're going to scourge me. And they're going to nail me to a tree. I, it's happening. And he's hearing it outside, chanting, crucify him, crucify him. Can you think about the guards? He hears the guards coming down the road to his jail cell and unlocking that jail and walking him out and him thinking, here it is, his heart probably beating fast as he gets brought into the stage only to realize that the people that are chanting, crucify him, crucify him, are not actually chanting it towards him, they're chanting it towards Jesus. See, when Pilate says, who do you want to, for me to release? They said, give us Barabbas and crucify him. Now, here's the thing about Barabbas most people don't realize. Barabbas' name means son of the father. Now, think about this. Jesus was the actual son of the father. Now, think about the contrast that you see that's going on in this moment. You have Barabbas, who's the son, whose name means son of the father. Then you have Jesus, who is actually the son of the father. In more research, I realized this as well. Barabbas, his first name was not Barabbas. Do you know what Barabbas' first name was? Jesus. His name was actually Jesus Barabbas. So think about this. You have Jesus Barabbas on one side, and then you have Jesus Christ on the other. Think about the dichotomy of what you see right in front of you. Jesus Barabbas is taking lives. He's killing people and taking lives. Jesus Christ will give his life. Jesus Barabbas wants to overthrow the king. Jesus Christ is the king of kings. Jesus Barabbas wants his own way. He is, he is guilty and is about to be freed. Jesus Christ is innocent and is about to be found guilty. And think about in this moment what Barabbas is feeling when they're saying, give us Barabbas, give us Barabbas. And the guards walk over to Barabbas and unlock his chains and say, you're free to go. And as he's walking down those steps and high-fiving his buddies, ha, 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 thank you guys, yeah. Not realizing that he thinks that the people are the one who set him free, when the truth is, it's the love of God that set him free. Because in that moment, here's Jesus Christ who says nothing, who stands there. And when I think about this story, I can only think that Barabbas represents some people. Guess who Barabbas is in this story? You and I. We're Barabbas. And here we are. We're guilty. We did the crime. We should pay the time. We should. And Jesus stands here and says, it's okay. It's okay. 
This is the beauty of the gospel that we declare today is that you and I are guilty and convicted. Think about the fact of when he walked down that and then he sees them carry off this innocent man who he knows is innocent to a whipping post for them to eventually whip him so much that the Bible would say that Jesus could not even be described as a man. You couldn't even tell. They would put crowns of thorns on his head. And Barabbas is the only man who could say that Jesus literally carried his cross. That cross was intended for Barabbas. But yet Jesus says, I'll take it. Now here's the question. How in light of the cross can we now doubt that God loves us? How many of y'all know God loves you? If he loves Barabbas in this moment, and he frees a murderer. How many know he loves you? He comes and he steps in and he says, you have that sin? Give it to me. You have that guilt? Give it to me. You paid the crime? You you did the crime? I'll pay for the crime. This is the beauty of what we share. uh, There's a, a painter by the name of Rembrandt. How many of you have ever heard of Rembrandt? Rembrandt, he's a famous, famous painter. He's written, he's, he's, written, he's painted so many um, famous and very expensive paintings. But there is one painting that has set him apart the most that he did something very unique in. It's called The Raising of the Cross. Actually, I'm gonna show you, I'll show you a picture of it. This is the painting that Rembrandt painted. It's The Raising of the Cross. And he did something in this painting that he didn't do in any other paintings. He painted himself in this painting. Actually, if you zoom in a little bit more, he's at the foot of the cross. He is right here at the foot of the cross. And what he said was the reason that he put himself in the painting was because he always wanted to remember when he saw this painting that the cross wasn't just done for me, it was done by me. And how many know today that the cross that Jesus went to wasn't just done for us, it was done by us? How many know we're the ones who nailed him to that cross? But how many know at the same time that Jesus, he, he willingly went to the cross? It's one thing if your father makes you. It's one thing, and then it's another thing if you willingly do it. How many know if I tell my kids, I need you to take out the trash, and they're like, I don't want to. I'm like, take out the trash. I don't want to. And they take it out. How many of you know that didn't please my heart? But how many know if they go, hey, Dad, can I take out the trash? I'd be like, first off, what do you want? Um, how many know? And then they go take it out. How many know that that would bless my heart? You know why? Because they did it because they wanted to. Look at this scripture in John chapter 10. This is what Jesus says. Watch what Jesus says. He says, no one can what? Take my life. No one can take my life. He says this. I sacrifice it. What's this word? Voluntarily. You know what that means? That Jesus willingly says, I will die. I will take this opportunity to give my life for I have the authority to lay it down when I want to and I also can take it up again. How many know that at any moment during this whole trial process, in the moment of the scourging, in the moment of the cross, how many know at any moment Jesus could have said, okay, I'm done. Could he? I mean, he calmed storms. He rose people from the grave. How many know he could be like lightning on everybody now? Could he? Yes. Could he just come... The, the Bible says that people were ridiculing him on the cross. If you say you're the of Jesus, if you say that you're God, take yourself off of that cross. How many know Jesus could have been like, I'm going to put all of y'all on the cross? 
Could he? Yes. Did he? No. Why? Because he loves you. And he doesn't want to make you pay for the crime that he can pay. He takes on his, our sin, our shame, our guilt. Watch what John Owen says. John, John Owen says, in light of the cross, the greatest unkindness you could do to God is to doubt his love for you. Is to doubt how much God loves you. Because every time we look at the cross, and listen, a cross is not just something that sits on a steeple. A cross is not something that we just put as an ornament on the wall. It's not even just a gold medallion that's around our necklace. This thing represents how much God loves us. God so loves you. But we can't just stop at the cross. And most of us want to stop there. Here's the question that I want to pose. Is if Friday took care of everything. How many believe that because Jesus died on the cross, your sins are forgiven? How many believe that? Raise your hand. Um, how many believe that because Jesus died on the cross, your guilt is covered? Raise your hand. How many believe that on the cross because Jesus died on the cross, he's given you a fresh new start? How many believe that? Yeah. Okay, so here's a question. Then why does Jesus need to rise from the dead? Why do we need Sunday? If Friday took care of everything, then why is Sunday so important? Well, I think there's a couple reasons. One, of course, is for us, for God to prove that he really is God. Because all the other gods had claimed that they were the gods. But how many know when they died, they did. But our God, three days later, rose again. He says, I'm back. You ain't keeping me down. The Bible would even go on and say, if you read in the book of Acts, that he went around and he visited people, that he was eating with people. Over 500 people saw him after his resurrection. It says that even the disciples bolted and locked themselves into a door and that Jesus just appeared into the room. How many know that would have been a freaky moment? Jesus like, ha ha, I'll be back, I am, you know. And he just strolled up. He did that actually two times with the guys. I don't know what it is about doors. He's like, I ain't open doors anymore. I'm just strolling on up in these places. I would have been tapping Peter on the shoulder. You denied me? No. <laughs> so this is the Jesus that we serve. He did come to life. And here's why. Because the cross equals the love of God. The resurrection equals the life of God. I think the reason why we need resurrection, why we need God, is not just so he proved himself to be alive and real, but because we need the life of God. And the life of God only comes through his resurrection. Actually, look what Revelation chapter 1 says. Revelation chapter 1 says, this is Jesus. I am he who, what's that word? Lives, Lives and was Amen. dead. And behold, I am still alive forevermore. Amen. Come on, how many know Jesus can amen himself? He's like, this is preaching is good. Amen. I'm going to amen myself. And I have the, keys. say it again, keys. keys. I have the keys of Hades and of death. I have the keys of hell. And I find this so funny that the devil is so defeated that he doesn't even have the keys to his own house. <laughs> devil's, like, devil's like, where's my keys? And Jesus is like, <laughs> I got the keys. This is what Jesus did. When he rose from the grave, he went down to hell. He grabbed the keys of hell and death, and he says, I hold on to this now. Devil, you had your way for so long, but now I am the victorious one. And can I tell you, many of us understand Good Friday. We understand that Jesus paid for our sins. We understand what he did, but we don't understand the power of Sunday, there was a church that put on a Easter play, an Easter production for Easter with the children's church. Timmy, one of the boys that was in the play, had one line, one line. Here was his line. 
He was one of the angels that proclaimed, he is not here, he is risen. So of course, when he found out that he was going to be angel, he went home and he's re rehearsing his line. His mom's like, what's the line? He's like, he is not here, he is risen. She's like, awesome, you're going to do great, baby. So she's sitting on the front row with the camera. Here comes the spotlight. This is the moment, resurrection. I mean, the cross has already happened. The resurrection is now already happened. And so here's the moment for Timmy to share his one line. He is not here, he is risen. Spotlight comes down on Timmy. He stands there and he says, he is not here. He is in prison. <laughs> I, I, don't know how, I don't know how they recovered after that. I don't know what the rest of the play went like. But how many know the truth of that is he is not here. He is risen. But oftentimes we're actually the ones still in prison. Yes, we are. Resurrection Sunday is about God bringing not only resurrection life, but breaking us from prison. He has the keys, y'all. Guess what? If he's got the keys of death and hell, how many know he's got the keys to open up your life? He's got the keys to free you from any addictions. He's got the, free, the keys to restore your marriage. He's got the keys of life, of all the things that we need in this life. He's got the keys. He's got the keys. And so here's what we have to run to is we've got to figure out what do we do from this moment. Philippians chapter 3 says this. This is, this is the Apostle Paul. Now, you got to know something about the Apostle Paul. He was formerly Saul. If you know anything about Saul, his former life, he killed people, but not just any people. He killed Christians. How would you like that on your resume? You know, you walk up in the church like, this church is going to burn down. Why? Because I killed half of these people's family. Think about that. And Jesus shows up in Acts chapter 9 and meets with them in a powerful way. And pretty much re-alters his course and says, you're not going to do this anymore. You're going to serve me. You're going to be my man. He changes his name from Saul to Paul. And then he says, you're, I, I'm going to give you a purpose. We know that Paul goes on to write two-thirds of the, of the New Testament. And this is what Paul writes. Watch, look what Paul says in Philippians chapter 3. Paul says, I gave up all this inferior stuff, all the stuff that I'd put my hope in, all the stuff that I'd put my time in, all the stuff that I'd given my life to. I gave up all that stuff so that I could know Christ. What's this word? Personally. Personally. See, here, down here in the South, we, we do a couple things really, really well. In the South, um, we can fry anything. Anything. Right? Come on, somebody. We make real sweet tea, like real tea in the South. And we go to church. That's what we do in the South. Uh, Easter, probably, all in the South, churches are probably packed and filled on this weekend. Because that's what we do. Because we know about God. The problem is a lot of people will come into church and they know about God. The problem is that they don't know God personally. See, I know Donald Trump. I can tell you a lot about him. A lot about him. Whether you like him or not, I know a lot about him. The problem, though, is I just know about him, but I don't know him personally. And he doesn't know me. But how many of you know a lot of people have a relationship with God that's just like that? In the South, everybody knows about God. We go to church, we hear about it, and I know God loves me. But it doesn't actually go from here to here. It goes from, yeah, I just knew all about God. I knew what I was supposed to do. I knew the rituals. I knew the songs I was supposed to sing. I was supposed to give a little, supposed to serve a little. But they don't know God personally. And Paul says, listen, I gave up everything. Why? Because I want to know God personally. That's my prayer today, is that you would walk out of this place with a personal connection with Jesus. 
And then he goes on, he says, but that's not good enough. I don't want to just know God personally. I want to also, what's this word right here? Say, say it loud. Experience. Experience his resurrection power. So here's what I know in the South. Everybody and their mama celebrating Easter. We, we call these people CEOs, Christmas and Easter only. They show up on Easter. Maybe that's, maybe that's you. I go to church on Christmas and I go to church on Easter. That's just what we do. That's what my family's always done. Outside of that, I kind of live my own life. Well, the problem is a lot of us celebrate Easter, but here's the real question I want to ask you on this Easter is have you experienced Easter? It's one thing to celebrate it. It's another thing to experience it. My prayer for you, just like Paul's prayer, is that you would know God personally and that you would experience the power of his resurrection. We pray fervently every weekend that people come into this church, they'll have an experience with God, not just learn more about God. Because how many know there's a lot of people who know about God that do nothing with it? And there's people, though, that have an experience with God. How many know their lives are forever changed? Amen. This is the prayer that I have for you and for I, that we would experience Easter. Now, it's one thing for you to hear me say this. Um, I'm supposed to say this. I'm a pastor. It's another thing for you to experience it from other people's vantage point and to hear what God has actually done. So I have two families that, um, that I asked if they would be willing to share their stories with us of how they've experienced Easter, what God has done in, your, in their life. So I had them write in. I didn't get a chance to film them, so I had them write in and share their stories. And I'm, I'm going to read some of these first. So the first guy is a guy by the name of Ashley. How many know Ashley? Anybody know Ashley in here? Come on, this is a great dude right here. This is what Ashley wrote. This is what he said. Watch. He says, when I was young, I was picked on because I was a fat kid with the, with the name Ashley. See, the more I was picked on, the more I isolated myself, and I started bullying people and turned to alcohol to ease the pain of not fitting in. In high school, I started selling and using drugs, and I was trying to hide the pain of life, and I filled a void in my life that was missing. He says, in 2015, I got arrested again. See, I'd been in and out of jail all my life, and a couple days after getting arrested, my dad had a massive stroke. That night, I hit my knees, and I asked God to please save my dad and to change my life. I was tired of living this way, so I went to rehab shortly after. I got out of rehab, and I started going to AA meetings, which got me close to God. And the more I found God, the more I realized he was the void in my life that I was missing. See, God took my broken life. I love that. He took my broken life, and he's now using me to do his work. And if anyone thinks that they are too far gone and that God doesn't care, he does care, and he can take your mess and turn it into a masterpiece. Amen. Come on, that's powerful. That's powerful. The other story is Steve and Alyssa, who are actually sitting right here on the front row. So not to embarrass them, but you are embarrassed. Um, but they have a powerful story. And so um, this is what they said. They said, we were high school sweethearts, lived together, got married, and immediately began having children. We were living a good life. I want you to make mention of that. We're living a good life. Because I think that's what we all strive for. The problem is the good life is not the God life. Because they said that we were at least, at least we thought we were because we had nice things and we had nice clothes and we had lots of friends who had the same. We went to church when it was convenient. For many years, our marriage was on autopilot. We each did our own thing and really did not have a true relationship with each other or with God. And we believed in God 
and figured we were living good enough to get to heaven. And this is huge here because this is actually probably what many people in the South really feel like. That the way that I'm going to get into heaven is I just want to live good enough. I think if I'm good enough, I'm going to be good. He says, our turning point happened in the end of 2017, though we made some very bad choices that almost led to the destruction of our marriage and it felt like rock bottom. It was then that we realized that we couldn't, what's these last two words? We couldn't save ourselves. Now watch. And that God was the only one who could save us. We were referred to some Facebook devotional videos from OSC. During the 21 days of prayer and fasting, we realized that we were far from God and we needed Jesus to change us, and he did. God called us to OSC, and in the last 90 days, we have felt more of God's presence than we have in the past 30 years. Come on. So I'll let you go talk to them yourself if you want to find out more of their story. But here's the most powerful part, I think, of this is not only has God restored their marriage and their family, but do you know where they drive from? They drive from Alexandria to come here in Jennings every single Sunday. So how long did it take y'all to get here today? Took them two hours to get here today. And every Sunday they drive here for two hours to get here. Don't you dare complain to me you have to drive from Lake Arthur or Gaydon or even Lake Charles. Come on. Because here's the deal, when you encounter God and you experience God, you want more of it. Are y'all with me? You can't get enough. Hey listen, nobody's got a problem driving two hours to go see LSU play. Nobody's got a problem driving three hours to go watch the Saints play and wait for an hour to even get into the building. But dear God forbid, how would we do that for church? But when you encounter the living God, you wanna be there where you can have a relationship with him. Yeah. It's powerful. And so that's our prayer. Our prayer is that you don't just come just to celebrate Easter, but you come to experience Easter. Pastor Baba says this all the time, and I think oftentimes when we can hear things, often we can lose the power of what is being said. But he says, listen, Jesus didn't come to make bad people good. He came to make people who were dead alive. Amen. Listen, you don't need just a better version of you. You're the problem. I'm the problem. We need us to die and him to live. Y'all with me here? We want God to live in us. So listen, so our, our, here's our passion. Our passion is, is to, to reach people and to build lives. What I mean by that is, listen, we're so excited you're here for Easter. I'm really excited. But you know what brings me greater joy is to see who comes back next week and the next week, and the next week, and the next week. Because following Jesus is a journey. I don't just show up at one event, because Easter's not an event, Easter is an experience. Y'all with me here? The title of today's message is Everyday Easter. I want you to have an everyday Easter experience. Well, man, how do we, how do we have an everyday Easter experience? Well, I, it's, it's easy, you just get plugged in. And listen, if you're from out of town or whatever, I. Listen, get plugged in somewhere. Get in a church somewhere. We say this all the time, but I never get tired of saying it. Give us a year. Give us a year. If you don't have a church home, make this your church home or find a church home and get plugged in. But I'm going to tell you, if you come and get in, you're like, Pastor Josh, that's a big ask. Yeah, it's a big ask, but I'm going to make a big promise. 
And the big promise is that if you will give God all that you got for the next year, you get plugged in and you show up and you get served and you can go through next step next week when we kick it off and you get in a life group and you just go, God, I want all that you got. I promise you at the end of this year, if your life is not radically changed, me and you will go find a new church together. Amen. How many of you have taken us up on that challenge and maybe God's already changed you and it hasn't even been a year yet? And this is the challenge. I'm telling you, I'm not, I don't just say things to say things. I really believe in what I'm saying. Yes. That God can radically change your life if you'll go all in for him. How many know he went all in for you? Yes. So here's the question. How do we get all this? How do we experience Easter every day? Well, there's two truths you need to know if you want to write these down and then we're, we're going to be done. Number one is just realize that only God can save you. Only God can save you. Ephesians chapter two, verse eight and 10 says, first three words, God, what? Saved you. God saved you. Not you, not me, God did. God saved you by his grace. Now grace is God's goodness to undeserving people. How many know we don't deserve grace, but God gives it? We don't deserve righteousness, but God gives it. We don't deserve salvation, yet God gives it. We don't deserve a second chance and a third and a fourth and a fifth, but God, by his grace, gives it when you believe, and you can't take credit for it. You can't take credit for this because it is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. And in the South, many of us really fall into the lie that we think if I'm good enough and I do good enough and, I, and if I'm just in a good place that God will love me. My whole high school years was built around trying to do enough good things for God to love me, do enough good things for God to earn my salvation. I just realized I'm not good enough. Any of you in here have, have kids, specifically even maybe younger kids, elementary, junior high, and all that. Okay, uh, any of your kids really love going to Chuck E. Cheese? Any Chuck E. Cheese parents in here? You been to Chuck E. Cheese? Who been to Chuck E. Cheese? I mean, back in the time, I remember Showtime. That was my day, that was, uh, those were those days. How many, how many of you know you don't go to Chuck E. Cheese for the food? How many of you know you don't go for the pizza? You go into Chuck E. Cheese because Chuck E. Cheese is the kids' gambling center. That's what it is, it is kids' gambling, okay? Adults have their own, kids got Chuck E. Cheese. That's what you go for. And you go to Chuck E. Cheese not for the food. What do you go to Chuck E. Cheese for? You go for the games. And, and ultimately, you don't even go for the games. You go for the, you go for the tickets, right? Because you know you're going to spend about $700 for you to get that one blow pop, all right? You better be sucking on that blow pop for like three weeks because that cost me, that cost our house, okay? We can't stay in the house anymore because we went to Chuck E. Cheese. You know you can't let that skee ball beat you, all right? So... I love Chuck E. Cheese, my boys love Chuck E. Cheese, and of course we love going and getting, getting as many tickets as we possibly can, and my boys cannot wait to get all of their tickets and go to you know, the counter, the ticket counter, and figure out if they want that small little rubber ball that they're gonna throw away in three days, or do they want the sucker that they'll eat in four, four seconds? I don't know which one it is. Whatever it is, I paid $130 for it, so let's just pick something, all right? Any parents feel my pain? Am I the only one who feels this? Okay, all right. I want you to imagine for me, we're at Chuck E. Cheese and we're on one of those really nice, big, you know, jackpot ones where you get it and you get something big prize and, you know, you hit the jackpot and 100,000 tickets start pouring out and you're like, I'm the man, dad of the year right here, it's pouring out, pouring out, pouring out. And, and, and your kids are going, what are we going to get? What are we going to buy? And they're thinking about all the things that they're going to buy. And I go, oh my goodness, I think we might can actually get that lava lamp that's been up there since 1993. I mean... <laughs> <laughs> that lava lamp's still up there. You know it is, isn't it? Still there. 
So you get your 100,000 tickets, and I mean, you're walking around with some swag like dad of the year right now. Nobody can play like me. And you bypass, you bypass the ticket counter. You're like, no kids, no lava lamp today. We're getting something real nice. And you walk out of Chuck E. Cheese, and you go, guess what? Dad, where are we going? And you pull up into that Lexus dealership because you've always wanted that Lexus. That's an inside joke for another sermon. Yeah. And you go and you see, man, that little nice Corvette, I mean, a convertible, and like, I want the black one. And the guy was like, all right, Mr. Belt, how do you plan to pay for that? And you're like, oh, I got it. Bam, Chuck E. Cheese, 100,000 tickets right there. How many know two things are about to happen? One, you're gonna be escorted out by security. Yeah. And two, they're gonna have a white jacket for you when you get out. Why, because those tickets have no value outside of Chuck E. Cheese. And this is yet again what we do oftentimes in the South is we think we will get to heaven one day and the way that we're gonna get in is either through our church attendance. God, I went to church. Look, I went to church often. Or yeah, I sang some songs. And yeah, I gave money. And look, I served and I was a good guy. And here's what I tell you. The Bible says, you know what your good deeds are like to him? Like filthy rags. They have no value. The only thing that gets us into heaven is the fact that we believe that Jesus paid for our sins. He took it, all our sins, all our pain, all our guilt, all our shame, and we trust that he did it. And how many of you know he's the answer? How mean of a father would God the Father be to Jesus, to make him go through the most gruesome death ever if you could earn your way to heaven. Think about that. How mean would the father be if half of the people went to heaven because they believed in Jesus and the other half got in because they were just good enough? How many know we're not good enough? And the cross declares that you and I are not good enough. But the cross also declares that you are so loved. Now God so loves you that he came and he paved the way for you and I. Christianity is the only religion on planet that salvation cannot be earned. And number two, last and final, is that only God can change you. Only God can save you, and only God can change you. How many of you in here believe that God can't sin? How many believe God can't sin? He can't. He's holy. He can't. He, have, he can have nothing to do with sin. He cannot sin. That is the nature of who he is as God. There's certain characteristics about who God is. One of them is that he's holy. He cannot sin. How many of you in here have allergies? You got allergies really bad? Any allergy people in here? Yeah, all allergies, Renite, Unite, okay, awesome. Um, I do too, I got allergies all the time. Um, and one allergy that I have that's specific though is whenever I was in elementary school, I discovered that I have an allergic reaction to cats. I went over to a friend's house, they had cats, were playing with them, I'm like, yeah, I love cats, awesome. And then I got in my car, it was late at night, I'm driving home and I'm like, I can't see. <laughs> And my mom opened up the my mom opened up the back. I was in it. We were in a station wagon. I remember station wagons back in the day. Opened up the back. She turned the light on. My eyes looked like hitch. I was like, Poof. I, I was all swollen up. I couldn't see. Couldn't do anything. I found out I'm allergic to cats. Had to get to the ER and deal with it. And from that moment on, realized that I I can't be around cats, which is why I hate cats. I absolutely hate them. That's why they don't go to heaven. I'm just letting you know. Dogs go to heaven. Cats don't go to heaven, okay? Um, that's why when I see them on the road, it's like 400 points. I mean, you're just trying to find 
Anyways. Come on, cat haters unite. All right, so, all right. You know they are. They selfish. They don't care about you. They only care about themselves. Dog, he's faithful. He's like, I love you. Come in. The cat's like, I don't even care about you. All right, this is, anyways, don't get me preaching on cats. But I can't be around cats. Actually, the other day, Good Friday, we were at some friend's house, and they have some cats, and they had a cat outside, and Joel, Joel my youngest, knows I, I can't be around cats, and he's like, Dad, look, a cat, and I was like, I will kick you in the face. Get that thing away from me. <laughs> I can't be around them. I hate them. I, 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 I just, I, I run from them when I'm, a, when I'm in their presence. Do you know that God feels the exact same way about sin? God is allergic to sin. He hates sin. He can't be around sin. So what does he do in this moment? Because the people that he loves are born into sin. We got a holy God that loves his people, loves his children, and yet they're born into sin. And he can't be with the people he loves. So what do we do? So this is what he does. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and we're going to wrap it up. The worship team, y'all can come out here. 2 Corinthians 5 says, for our sake, he, this is God the Father, made him. Who's him? Jesus made Jesus to what? To, to be sin. Now think about this. Jesus can't sin, so what does God the Father have to do? He's got to make him be sin. He makes him be sin who knew no sin. Now watch this. Here's the, here's the part you got to get. So that in him, in Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. So here's the question. Can you make yourself righteous? Yeah, see, only one person said no. You know why? Because we all think we can. We all think we can do good enough, try hard enough, and eventually we will be righteous. That was my whole middle school and high school was me trying to earn God's approval. Me trying to make myself, God, look, I'm righteous. Look, I'm reading the Bible. You see this, God? Look, I'm in church. You see it? Don't let it both. I'm here. This is... This is what we think, and yet Jesus says, this is what he says, listen. Just as God the Father knew that Jesus couldn't be sin, he made him be sin. God the Father also knows you can't make yourself righteous, so guess what he does? He makes you be righteous. Barabbas, Barabbas, sin, murderer, guilt, shame. Jesus Christ says, I'll take that. I'll take that. I'm innocent. I'll take your guilt. You take my innocence. This is the gospel that we preach. That the beauty is that Jesus takes our place. Jesus in my place. My sin, he takes. His righteousness, I get. How many of you know when you realize that, when you mess up this week, you're going to realize that God still loves you because it wasn't you that earned his love in the first place. And then you'll also realize that God can still change you. How many know Jesus can save you and Jesus can change you? If Jesus is the only one who can save you, how many know Jesus is the only one who can change you? So today when you walk in with your head down, like, oh man, it's just been bad, man. I've been struggling with this. Lift your head up. Jesus loves you, Jesus can change you, and Jesus can save you. This is the Easter message that we declare. Would you bow your heads in this place? Father, we love you. The most important question I can ask on this Easter Sunday 
is if you're in this place and you would like to have a relationship with God, maybe you're like Stephen and Alyssa that shared, we just, we thought I was, I thought I was good enough. Maybe you're like Ashley and you realize, man, I've just messed up my life so much and I don't, man, I don't, I don't know how God can take this mess. I'm such a mess. But just realizing that only God can save you. The Bible says in order for you to be born again, you just got to do a couple things. First off, just admit that you're a sinner and that you need him. God, I just admit I need you. I can't do this without you. That you would be, that you'd believe that Jesus did all that needed to be done for you to be saved. He bore your sin on his body. But then again, three days later, he rose again out of the grave to give you power, to give you life. The Bible would say that anyone who is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things are new. And the way that you get that is you confess that Jesus, come be my Lord, come be my Savior. And in that moment, in one moment, Jesus can come and wash away all your unrighteousness, give you a new, new heart, new purpose, new place. If that's you in this place, you say, Pastor Josh, man, I want a relationship. I want to know him personally. I don't know if I do, or maybe I've been running from him. I want to come back home. If this is you on the count of three, I want you to shoot your hand up. Don't be ashamed. Shoot it up with all that you got. One, two, three. That's me. That's me. That's me. Come on, shoot it high. Shoot it high. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen. Now, would you just pray this with me? Say, Dear Lord Jesus. Come on, let's pray with all that we got. I believe you're the Son of God. I believe on the cross you took my guilt my shame and my sin you died for it to give me a place in heaven a purpose with you to cleanse me to give me new life today I declare you are Lord of my life I give you my sin you give me your righteousness thank you from this moment forward I'll follow you In Jesus' name. And everyone said.